This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, November 16th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Democrats have launched an impeachment inquiry into the president, bringing witnesses for public hearings that began this week. Cato's Julian Sanchez has followed the proceedings. He comments. Democrats have launched their impeachment inquiry, not just declaring it to be so, but also taking a vote and actually beginning the process of holding hearings. Um, They've been doing so across many news networks this week. Uh, And one of the things that uh, Republicans have raised uh, is that this uh, whistleblower, the the person who first wrote this letter and went to the CIA IG's office to, or the intelligence community's IG, to get some of this information into the hands of members of Congress. Uh, The complaint is that this whistleblower had a particular axe to grind and that that uh, should discredit in some way that person's statements. Um, So, of course, we don't uh, know uh, with any certainty, even though uh, people have been named as as candidates, uh, who the the whistleblower is, but it's certainly possible. Um, But that doesn't matter very much unless we're relying on the whistleblower's direct knowledge of something that can't be independently uh, checked or confirmed. Uh, You know, in both journalism and law enforcement, and for that matter, in intelligence, um, very often you rely on sources, at least initially, uh, who may have an agenda or an axe to grind or a motive for coming forward. Um, Watergate came to light in large part because uh, Mark Felt, a senior FBI official, was uh, upset that he had been passed over for the top job, and he became deep throat in part because he was uh, uh, angry and, and bitter about that. Um, you know, very often informants have an agenda. Um, and if you had nothing but their word to go on, that would um, might go to their credibility. Uh, but very often they're effectively acting as, as, in this case, sort of anonymous tipsters. Um, at the point where the essential claims made in the initial complaint um, have now much better sourcing than the whistleblower recounting what he had heard from others, uh, it's not really clear why they're relevant or why their their motives matter. It might be the, uh, you know, a, a rabid Democratic partisan, but uh, if if you can independently see that the claim was correct, it's not clear why it matters. Uh, one, another claim that is made um, is that you know there's a lot of conflation here between the process of holding impeachment inquiries and that ultimately, of course, holding a vote on impeachment. And uh, the process that that goes through, and a criminal trial. So various of the of the first ten amendments to the Constitution talk about criminal trials and uh, the things that you are due and how you can be treated as somebody who's been accused of a crime. Almost none of that applies to uh, an impeachment inquiry where the Constitution says the House shall have sole control of that process. Right. And the, the Sixth Amendment does explicitly refer to criminal uh, proceedings, which it is not. Now, I think as a matter of sort of general democratic principle, when we reach the trial in the Senate, if we reach the trial in the Senate, um, it would be certainly very desirable and appropriate for um, you know some version of, of those kind of due process protections to effectively be uh, granted, but we're of course not at that stage. Um, the comparison I think that's been made that's fair enough is that the um, 
Senate or the, the House impeachment inquiries are you know more akin to uh, a preliminary investigation or uh, a grand jury process, which is what happens before an indictment comes down. The indictment being effectively the impeachment vote, which then leads to trial. And of course, even when it comes to criminal process, um, the due process protections that apply at trial, things like the right to confront a witness, do not apply at that stage. Right. Um, the the you, grand jury, when they receive a potential indictment from a prosecutor, everything that the grand jury does is secret. Right. I mean, certainly, you know, if you if you were to walk up to the, the police or to a, a prosecutor and say, you know, I heard someone is informing on me, um, I'd like to be able to confront that witness. Um you know, you, you would not get very far. Uh, no one thinks that at that investigative stage, um, someone who is being investigated has a right to know everything about who is talking to either the police or the grand jury. Um, and you know, still more, even when you reach the trial phase, if you have an investigation that is started again by an anonymous tip um, and you then say, um, well, I want to confront the anonymous tipster. Um, you know, you're not going to be satisfied in part because the point of anonymous tip lines is very often that even the police don't necessarily know who the tipster is. Uh, that is not unconstitutional because the right to confront witnesses is about the right to cross-examine people who are presenting evidence uh, against you at trial. Um, so as a kind of formal or constitutional argument, none of this makes a, a great deal of sense. Um, although as a political values argument, certainly. Um, again, I think it absolutely makes sense that when we reach the um, the parallel portion of this, which is trial in the Senate, that whether or not it's constitutionally required, um, equivalence of those kinds of protections would, would apply. So uh, there is something, a claim that I've seen just in the last couple of days. This is uh, when talking about uh, the for what um, offenses, a president may be removed, impeached and removed from office. And uh, one of the claims is that attempted bribery is not among them. Right. So there's there's a um, I believe uh, Lauren Gum was was when he said that uh, the thing is, there is a legal term for what some people are describing as attempted bribery. And that term is bribery. Um, if you look at the statutory definition of bribery, um, it doesn't say anything about a payment being made or the bribe actually being delivered. Um, it's, it's just not an element of the crime at all. The crime of bribery is the offer uh, of uh, of something uh, of value in exchange for an official act uh, with some corrupt motive. Um, you can, of course, debate whether there was a corrupt motive here and, and look at all the evidence of what the, the true purpose of this, uh, uh, this was and whether there's a quid pro quo. But um, if the argument is but it can't, you know, if the other elements are there, well, it's not a crime unless it went through. Um, the crime in this case is not defined by its completion. It's defined by the offer. All right. Uh, it, there is yet another uh, claim that is made, and that is that pretty much everything redounds to this phone call mm -hmm. that uh, Donald Trump had uh, with the incoming president of Ukraine. And that uh, if if somebody does not have direct knowledge of that phone call or was not listening to the phone call or only received a bootleg of that phone call, uh, that their uh, what they have to say is somehow less relevant to uh, this proceeding. Right. This is a, a pretty consistent messaging we've seen uh, through the hearings, I think, takes its lead from 
uh, things President Trump has said, uh, that um, really the only thing to talk about is the call. And if you don't have knowledge of the call, if you weren't on that call, I don't even understand why we're hearing testimony. Um, the I think that's a kind of calculated strategy, because if you say the only thing is the call, there's perhaps um, you can argue there are different ways to interpret it or um, you know, some of these, uh, the things that are, uh, that are alleged are not explicit and you could disagree about what the motive of this request was. Um, I think if you look at the context, if you look at, uh, the lead up to the call, which involved sort of advanced warning, um, to the Ukrainians, that these are the demands that, uh, that president Trump would make, which is why on the call, um, they immediately sort of understood what he was talking about vis-a-vis, -vis, uh, uh, the Bidens. Um, and then, after on the call, uh, Zelensky essentially agrees. Yes, we will. We will look into these investigations. My new prosecutor general will will look into all these things. Um, the sort of sustained pressure continued, um, conditioning at, at the very least a White House visit and um, more disputed, um, perhaps the release of aid on a public announcement, uh, which again was scheduled on uh, a CNN uh, would have happened. Uh, two days after the aid was actually released, there was an agreement in principle that Zelensky would indeed make a public announcement of these investigations. Um, all of that is obviously part of the broader pattern of conduct that Democrats are concerned about. Um, and all of that, of course, speaks to questions like, um, well, was this a real a horse trade or a quid pro quo um, or merely sort of suggestively linking um, aid and U.S. support to um, these actions on their part. Um, it goes, I think, in part to what the motive is in the sense that um, a key sticking point was clearly this public announcement, um, which makes more sense if what you're interested in is the political impact of having an investigation announced as opposed to whether an investigation actually occurs. Um, looking at why, if you know, if the argument is, well, there were there were good motives for all of this. This was about fighting corruption. Um, you know, looking at how this negotiation was carried out, did it happen by the established State Department channels um, that you would expect? Uh, if this was about fighting corruption, if the claim is well, aid was held up because President Trump wanted other countries to pay more, um, were people at the State Department informed that aid was being held up for that reason so they could go to other countries and say, we don't know if we want to contribute until other countries pick up their their uh, share of the burden. Um, looking at what happened before and after is pretty critical to making sense of, uh, you know, claims about what the motives uh, and what was being conveyed on the call are. Um, so, you know, all of that is pretty relevant. OK, so, uh, in General, have you heard or are you aware of uh a any assertions by uh, Nancy Pelosi or uh, Adam Schiff that they will limit the uh, range of articles of impeachment to this event, or will they broaden it? It's hard to say. I I um I think you know they've clearly sort of signaled that there is a desire to kind of remain focused and move relatively quickly on this, which would be consistent with trying to um you know, keep things fairly uh, specifically focused on Ukraine. Um, although this does seem like a case where as we sort of yank on um, various threads, uh, there are links to other things that 
you can imagine getting sucked in. Um, there's, for example, an uh, uh, investigation of apparently Rudy Giuliani, Giuliani the president's uh, personal attorney, who was involved in both a lot of these negotiations with Ukraine and also um, uh, a, a pair of associates uh, who have been since indicted. Um, so, you know, in this sort of a strict sense that's not connected to sort of the core uh, the sort of core allegation against Trump here, but um, it sort of remains to be seen uh, how how disconnected it is or whether whether um, there is some kind of additional link that could reasonably be drawn. Um, which so you know as, as we discover um, you know more detail, um, either because these other court proceedings reveal more information, because you know potentially. Um, Access to Trump's financial records reveals more information uh, because um, additional witnesses like John Bolton uh, end up uh, being uh, told to comply with the uh, House subpoenas. Uh, it may become you know, clear that there are connections to other, uh, other things that could be added. Julian Sanchez is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.